talk a little bit about um, the needs in the urban environments. Um, we are living in an age um, where things have transitioned in the world. It's happened um, in our lifetime, and that is that the world has predominantly shifted, becoming uh, predominantly urban. Meaning there are more people who live in the urban areas today than they do in the rural. And this is a trend that will continue to increase. Just this last year in the United States, we went on record for the first time in over 100 years that more people that were living in cities than anywhere else. And the cities were growing for the first time in over 100 years. And so this, this urban reality is something that we're all having to deal with. As leaders in the church, we've got to know the context in which we are dealing. Even if our churches are in more rural or suburban areas, the impact of urbanization is going to be something that we have to think about and deal with to some degree. And so today we want to just take a few minutes here at the close of this session to talk about this. So I'm going to invite uh, three guys up to the stage. These guys are all pastors, uh, church planters in urban environments. Dahadi Lewis is the pastor of Blueprint Church um, here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Dahadi leads an initiative called the Rebuild Initiative that that trains, specifically trains um, urban leaders. And uh, so Dahadi is with us. We've also got D.A. Horton. Uh, D.A. is the pastor of the Koinonia Bible Fellowship in Kansas City. And so we're glad that D.A. is here. D.A. is also uh, a part of the Rebuild Initiative Training Urban Leaders. And then Ellis Prince is over here. Um, Ellis is the pastor of the Gallery Church in Baltimore, Maryland. And God has uh, used Ellis and his church in a tremendous fashion uh, to reach Baltimore and really uh, stretching all over the world. Ellis just got back from Haiti. God's doing some incredible things there. And we're going to talk about some of the things that God's allowed uh, Ellis uh, to be a part of. And we'll just start with you, Ellis. Ellis, you uh, most recently, prior to Baltimore, you lived in Dallas. Georgia. Georgia. <laughs> so tell us really quickly, yeah. man, how does a guy with a family, two kids, uh, move and transition your family to Baltimore, and what was that like, and what were some of the things you guys had to work through in that process? Yeah, I mean, God really um, did a wonderful gift for our family. We came out of a very healthy church environment. Actually, some of you might actually have heard of Westridge Church over in Paulding County, and um, Brian and his staff really just gifted us some time as a family before we left. The worst thing for me was moving my kids out of our context into a totally different context, and my kids to just feel like they were being drugged along. Like, oh, this is something my dad's got to go do. I really wanted it to be a family thing. And so we took about six weeks as a family and spent every day together. And we just talked about it. I didn't want them saying, well, that my daddy is going to go start a church. I wanted them to feel like they, we were doing something with the Lord. And, and so then I started calling friends like you um, and found out that I could move into a city for a few months and let my family experience city life without the commitment of saying, look, we, we, hey, we're in here. We got to stay. Um, we were able to come and, and try public transportation, walk around, go up a four-story four walk-up with groceries every other day and just experience what it's like to live in an urban context without the pressure of feeling like we're letting somebody down if we pull out. And that was a huge gift for us. And so God opened up the door for us to do that with you in New York before we made the commitment to Baltimore. And so uh, for really about five or six months, we were able to to really just saturate ourselves in an urban context without having to, uh, to be committed to it. 
A few decades ago, Donald McGavern introduced a, a principle in missions called the homogeneous unit principle, which basically says that when you're focusing on a, an area and you're going to start a church or do mission, uh, you want to look for a, a specific cultural group and, and, and figure out who they are and, and what their likes and dislikes are and figure out how to apply the, the gospel. However, when you go into the urban dynamic, I mean, it's so multicultural, so diverse, so dense. Uh, how do you begin to even unpack um, a, a missiology that would start to, to, to build inroads into the urban? Dottie, we'll start with you on that one. Yeah, and I, I just wanna, don't want to miss the principle that we talked about. Is the, the reality is that many of us, especially in the majority culture, don't know what it feels like to be a minority. Mm-hmm. And then when you go into the urban context, you're going, you know, urban basically, the way we define urban is density. And where there's density, there's diversity. And a lot of times when we're talking about the urban context, um, the majority culture don't, doesn't know what it feels like to be that. And so it's specifically as we begin to target with the homogeneous unit principle, you know, we've been taught and been trained to focus in on one context. And then when our neighborhoods change, what do we do? We move to, again, our context. And so the reality is, is what happens when we no longer can move to a group, around a group of people that just look like us or have the same thing? And I think that's what God is doing with, with the regentrification, with what's taking place. And now we have to, in order to be relevant, and if we're going to be relevant in the generations to come, we have to begin to look at holistically the diversity of young, old, poor, rich, you know, business, professional, homeless, and thinking about it. And there's a a principle that we talk about at Blueprint is that from Romans chapter 1 where Paul says that I'm coming to preach the gospel to you both to give to you and also to receive. That when we embrace the gospel, we must recognize that we're not just going to be saved, but we're also going to, we're not going to save, we're also going to be saved by the context and understanding multiple different areas. Kind of tag it on that a little bit, but taking a little bit different direction. When you look at the, the urban environments, they, they tend to be very pluralistic, and, and Christianity is just one of a smorgasbord of, of opportunities for spirituality um, there. And so uh, many people may even consider themselves Christian, but they're also uh, Buddhist. I remember one of my, uh, is just an incredible conversation I was having with a guy one time in New York City, and he said, yeah, I'm a Christian Buddhist. I'm like, you're going to have to unpack that a little bit for me. But it's just kind of, you know, it's like a buffet table. You go and get a little bit of whatever you want. DA, in, in, in the urban context, in your context, what role does preaching take? And how, how in your preaching do you cut through the haze of the myriad of options that, that people seem to have as it relates to their spirituality? Yeah, I think... Um, I think what's necessary in, in the context is... Um, spirit-filled, expository preaching uh, that's delivered in the heart language of the constituency that God has called you to by a man of God that is living within the biblical qualifications. Um, So there's a lot of ambiguity in everything I just said. I just gave you a thesis (laughs) statement. Um, Basically, to unpack it, spirit-filled, the way I would qualify that, and that's a term we should not be scared to use. It's a biblical term. It's a biblical reality. Um, So when I say it, I I basically think of the intimacy of abiding in Christ uh, that we see in John 15. I see Colossians 3, 15 through 17, the peace of Christ willing in our heart, the word of God richly indwelling our heart. Uh, all things that we do, we do for the glory of God. I see 1 John chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So it's confessing our sin, living in fellowship with other believers. Um, expository preaching basically is um, 
communicating the text, linguistically wrestling and expositing to the people of God and to the, to the listeners, to the standbyers. This is what God's Word says clearly in their heart language. And then we say, now this is how we apply it. And I think there should be a level of transparency from the pulpit that, man, I don't have it all together. Like, I fail just like you. I get upset with my wife just like you. I get loud with my daughters just like you. And I think there's a heart connection of authenticity. I mean, it's a big buzzword, but in, on the block, we say keep it 100. Keep it 100 is the communication of the heart language of the people I'm called to. And it basically means to be authentic, to be transparent, to be real. So um, I'm convinced that we need to do more uh, of a better job in preparing our urban church planners with the heart language. Uh, we send our, our missionaries overseas to language school, but we don't ever think about that in America. So we have this arrogant approach that, oh, I know the English language, but not necessarily because not everything in the hipster world translates to the hip-hop world. So we have to make sure that we understand this is what the people need to hear. You might want to translate what you just yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Let me chop it up for you. Just yeah, okay. <laughs> So, yeah, Aaron, Aaron, I do believe that the apologetic of our day is authenticity, and that's what DA is saying, that people want to have a genuine relationship with God, with our Maker. You know, and I think that the, we're, they're tired of programs, they're tired of systems, they're tired of things, and they just want to see, you know, especially in the urban context, they want something real, you know. And I think that is, that's the heart of what Damon is saying, is that how can we produce an environment that's real? You know, celebrating the ups and the downs, the good and the bad, you know, and, 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 and that's where people get hope. Yeah. They get hope in that. Yeah, and let me just add one thing to that, too, because I think that um, I agree with everything that's been shared. I'd like to add one more piece. I think we, um, in the urban context, you have to create room for people to ask questions. Um, many people will come into a, a building like this and will trust the pastor. Pastor said it, I'm going to go do it. That does not fly in most of our urban contexts, especially in the north part of our country, northeast. Um, we're not a trusted institution. I'm not a trusted character. I'm a pastor. Therefore, I am the scorn of jokes. I'm not a trustworthy individual just by the occupation. And that's a, that's a, So when I teach, I have to create room for people to stand up and say, I heard you say this. Um, can you explain this? I disagree with you. And, and be prepared to interact with people. If you just come to preach a sermon and say, now leave, go do this, and you don't leave room for question, I think you're going you're gonna to limit your impact. There's a myriad of issues that I know you guys face on a day in and, and, and day out basis, uh, and they're very, very complex issues, um, and uh, issues of disease, issues of crime, I mean, all kinds of uh, complex issues, again, that, as we pointed out earlier, that, that density brings. Uh, Ellis, I know one of the, the issues that you guys have founded yourself surrounded with there uh, in Baltimore is the issue of HIV-AIDS, where you've got... Uh, a high percentage of the population living with this disease. Yeah. And uh, I think it's important that we as the church have a proper approach to how we would wrestle with things like that. And so why don't you talk to us a little bit about how your church has uh, approached that, that particular issue um, in, in, a, in a healthy and biblically faithful way. Yeah, I mean, in the amount of time we have, I wish I could wax eloquent on all of it. Let me just give a couple of quick things is number one, we have to look at people with compassion, period. I mean, when there's a crowd, it's compassion or it's sin, <laughs> you know, when we look at somebody. And so many times I feel like, especially in the issue of HIV and AIDS, the church is functioning on very, very old data. Um, we, we, we automatically assume that HIV and AIDS is, a, um, is God's judgment on homosexuals when in Baltimore, one in 23 African-American women have it. 
I mean, it's not even a homosexual disease in our city, it's a heterosexual disease. So many churches are functioning on bad information. They need to get, the, they need to get good information. And then the second thing is, is you have to make your church a safe place for anybody. Anybody that's struggling with anything, from a disease to sin, whatever, if you can't love everyone, then you need to stay out of the city. And so what we've been able to do is create places where faith church, churches can work with medical institutions as well as government agencies to do massive HIV testing in our city where we try to hit zip codes that our health department ask us to go into and we just provide the manpower to walk around and ask people to know their status, but they're walking in the churches to get tested. And, um, and it's been a huge opportunity for us. One quick story is a, 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 this past June when we did our HIV testing, there was an, uh, a 70-year-old grandmother that hadn't had access to her children because she was a drug addict, got HIV through that, and their family cut her off. We met her on the street. She put her faith in Jesus, got tested, found out she was positive, got into care. Now she has access to her children. She goes to church every Sunday. Mm. Um, and so we have, to, we, we, we have to care about everyone kind of tagging on that, Dahada, you, you said something that's really interesting earlier when we were talking backstage, and you said that um, at your local Boys and Girls Club, there are 300 children, and of those 300 children, only 10 of them have both mom and dad mm-hmm. at home. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's an epidemic. I mean, they say in, in amongst African Americans, 80% grow up with dad not in the home. I mean, that's an epidemic. And when I went to the Boys and Girls Club and I asked the guy, he joked and he said, what's that? You know, I asked him, how many of these 300 kids are you serving have both mom and dad in the home? And he was like, I don't know, what's that? And he was joking, but he said, actually, I can give you more examples of who's raising up these men of two women. And he was referring to lesbian couples raising up the next generation of men. And at that point, my heart just broke. And I was just like, why doesn't it seem like God is calling any of us back to the city? And, you know, and I just realized, I mean, one of our planners talked about, he's just like, we're addicted to comfort. You know, and it seems like so many of us are called, our calling is the path of least resistance. And we always go to better, but we're not going back to the heart of where, where God is, the widows and orphans. And I was just like, I'm grieving. Like, what happened to the Christianity when we used to lay our lives on the line yeah, yeah. for those that the world rejected, you know, because and it is grieved us. And so we just, how can we come back to the city and show compassion, you know, and to show, and to be saved? Because this every, has everything to do with our sanctification, you know, in that process and us growing with the Lord. Kind of, Continuing down the line here, talking about issues that you, you face. I think everywhere you face, but they're more prominent in the, the more densely populated places. Uh, and, and this is an issue that even comes into the Christian community oftentimes and is, is easily justified a lot of times. And that's the issue of cohabitation. Mm-hmm. A lot of times because uh, rent is high and think it's an expensive place to live, uh, people will, will justify you know, living together um, outside of, of, of wedlock, which I know is a difficult issue for pastors uh, to deal with in that context. So I'd love, D.A., for you just to kind of chime in a little bit and talk about uh, how do we handle those types of issues um, in, a, in a faithful way. Um, the easy answer is we handle them in a biblical way. I mean, we take them to the Scriptures, clearly explain to them what God's Word declares, then you begin to look at all the specific nuances of their situation and then breathe grace to them. Uh, but at the same time, never back away from the standard of God's holy word and make them aware that God's standard does not budge based off of their budget, their bottom line, or their situation or arrangement. Um, in, adi- amen. in addition to that, um, 
I think also being willing and able to just take them by the hand and be patient and walk them through what that looks like. Uh, So often, I know I've been guilty of legalism in so many ways. Um, I want them to look like me, talk like me within five weeks. And if they don't, okay, you ain't growing, you ain't saved. So I need to give you the gospel again. Um, I'm just being honest. Um, So I think basically giving them the standard and basically um, in a joint counseling session, um, you know, what we have done, my wife and I, is we basically put them both on the line. We don't, we don't emasculate the man in front of the woman. At the same time, we show them, hey, you're both equally responsible in this situation. Saved or unsaved, we need to deal with that first. So we present the gospel. Then if they're both believers, again, we give them the gospel. And then we say, okay, now how is your life living out the implications of this one message that carries the omnipotent power of God? And then saying, now how can we plan this out? Either you get married or you begin to separate. Just honestly, we find a place where they, the, uh, both genders can stay. Uh, and then we work out the budget situations. And um, is it always received with an amen? No, it's not. Um, do people get mad at us? Yes, they do. But I think God has called us to be big enough uh, in light of him carrying the brunt of that. And all we do is be faithful of expositing people to what this says. And then he'll take care of the rest. That's right. Yeah, I was just going mean, we have in our churches, especially in the urban context, as we joked about the, the, the jailer and all this, but that's the norm in our context. You know, I mean, like we talk about, that's a good core team. Yeah, that was my core team. You know, in terms of people uneducated, high school, dropouts, those types of people, you know, that a lot of times they might even be trained theologically because our, as we can train them through a lot theologically easily. But what we miss so many times is just life skills that they don't have. And they're just kind of making ends meet and they're doing what they've seen growing up. You know, and so if we come in a lot of times with a, a certain type of mindset, a middle class mindset, you know, with them, it's just like we'll immediately begin to demonize this everything that they're doing, understanding the, the heart, the reality behind what they're doing. You know, and so I think that's important that you have to create areas of transformative grace for people to be changed, but not thinking it's always going to be instantaneous because it's been habits that have been practiced for generations. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Man, thank you guys so much. Man, aren't you guys glad that we have men like this leading? just want to say thank you all for uh, chiming in with us. And man, let's just take a second here and uh, let's pray for these uh, ministries. I mean, these guys are really representatives of a huge number of, of church planners and pastors that are, that are in our urban cores, that are dealing with complex issues every day. Uh, the reality is, though, that the issues that they've talked about here are issues that are really around all of us. Again, they're just more prevalent uh, when there's more people around. So let's take a second uh, now and pray uh, for these guys. God, we love you so much, and I thank you for these three men. And Lord, just the inspiration they are to me. God, I thank you for their churches and how those church, their churches are, are being the light of Jesus um, in their communities, in their context. God, we thank you for the, the leaders that they're raising up to lead the church and to plant new churches. Uh, God, we are just uh, excited about that and excited about all that you're doing. So thank you again uh, for their example and their lives. In your name we pray. Amen.